0: You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Morning, all right. My name is Todd. Uh, Good morning. Good to see you guys. Uh, I'm sure you've probably discovered this fact already, but there are two types of people in this world. There are the type who, when they see somebody coming, step aside so that they don't run into them. And then there are the type of people who just assume you're going to step aside and just barrel right through, right? And you know which kind of person you are. You know. I'm a step-aside person, and and God has oriented this in a certain way that most of the time it works out. People aren't just—you got in here probably this morning without colliding with most people, right? Most of the time it works out just fine. God— creates perfect compliments, and people veer off or or chicken out at the right second, and people don't mostly spend their time colliding. But you've also run into a scenario like me, who's a step-asider, who runs into another step-asider, except for you both step the same direction. And then you're like, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. And then you're like, are are we dancing now? (laughs) Like an impromptu dance session broke out. So so that's the, the downside of it. But what we want to see is in Genesis, we're going to enter in uh, chapter 4 today. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, that's where you're going to want to stay. I'm not going to have those verses up on the screen. I'm going to be reading through that. Um, but I'm going to have every verse outside of Genesis 4 and 5 up on the screens. And one of those I want to start off by is Genesis 3.15. When God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden, he left them with a promise that he spoke to the serpent in the, in the presence of Adam and Eve. And, and God said this to the serpent. He said, I will put enmity between you the serpent and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel god left them with a promise that these two things are on a collision course and neither one of them is chicken and out they are going to collide sin taking over and the and the search and the promise of a son are on a collision course. There is enmity built into the system. They are at war with each other, and neither one of them is backing down. And, and God says that the collision point, when they actually collide, the point is going to be the son's heel to the skull of the serpent. That's where they're actually, when it collides, when it happens, when neither one of them back down, when it hits, that's how it's gonna hit. It's gonna be his skull crushed by the heel of the sun. And so that's where we're left with. Adam and Eve have that in the back of their heads. That's the narrative that they are now sent in to the world with. Everything up until this point has been a world we largely don't recognize, right? Naked and without shame. That's not me. <laughs> uh, perfect perfection. Uh, just, you know, every tree, yes. Uh, the animals just like nuzzling up against you. You know, you, know, you want to give a bear hug to a bear. That's fair game. Um, that's, that's the world they lived in. We can't relate to that. Everything from this moment forward is the world we live in. Genesis 4 is east of Eden. That's where all of us live. And so that's where we start today. And in the narrative, there's these two storylines, the the takeover of sin and this promise of a son. And and wondering what that collision is going to look like is the narrative that now the rest of the story from Genesis 4 to the end of your Bible is going to play out what that looks like. So let's look at Genesis 4. Hopefully you found your way there. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. So this is, we're outside the garden now. It says, Now Adam knew his wife Eve. Uh, He knew her before. Um, This is not uh, that he just like, hey, Eve, nice to meet you. He, He knew his wife in an intimate way. He knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. So in this book of beginnings, we see the first family. We see the first conception and birth Ever ever. This is in the history of the world, the first conception of birth. There's no what to expect when you're expecting. Eve's like, what is happening to my stomach? (laughs) I need to lay off the pomegranates. (laughs) And and Adam's like, what do you mean you want crushed ice from a gas station? I don't even know what that is. (laughs) Like, what's happening to you? What's going on here? There's no book. She doesn't have a mom. She can't ask her, is this normal? None of it, like, all this is new to them, but somehow, like, all new parents do, they figure it out, they get through it, and I mean, like, you imagine the first birth, they're like, what is this cord attached to this thing? (laughs) Like, is it plugged in? Is that, like, (laughs) what's going to happen if I unplug it? Is it going to power down? Like, oh my word, what's happening here? But they get through it, like all parents do, you figure it out, and then at the end of it all, they let you, the, the, the most shocking experience as a new parent is at the end when they let you go with this kid, and you're like, so I just take it then, like, you're not gonna. I just get to go home, and now I I have to parent this thing. I'm not ready for this. I don't know what I'm doing. Adam and Eve, all that first time, no help, no expectations, no nothing, no help, no books, no moms. But they figure it out. And can you imagine the hope that Eve has? God sent her out with a promise that one of your offspring will crush that serpent that tricked you and your family. And she has a son. She's like, yes, God kept His promise. I have a son. He's gonna crush the serpent just like God said he would do. Can you imagine the hope that's laid on Cain, the first man born to a sinful couple, the first man conceived in sin, the first man born in a sinful world, but with all the hope of the serpent crusher and expectation of like, you will be the one who ends this curse, laid on Cain. And then he has this younger brother, Abel, who comes after him, both of them born in sin, born in a sinful world, born in the world east of Eden, where you have a choice to either believe in the promise of the son or to give in to the curse of sin that's taking a place in the world around you and in the hearts now of people. There's a collision course in every heart, including us now. We're sons of Adam, daughters of Eve. Down to us, that's our world. It's the world we live in, and it's the world that's in us. A collision course is happening. Look at uh, verses 3 through the first part of 5. In the course of time, so they grow up, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, the text does not tell us why, right? It just says that this happened, and here's what God's judgment on the situation was. But the text does give us some clues so we can try and figure it out. But I'm going to go on record ahead of time. We don't know exactly why. But we have some clues in the text as to possibilities that we know from other texts that might be the reason. The first one is this. Cain brought an offering. You see that? Cain brought an offering, but Abel brought the firstborn. So the difference was in what they brought. Cain brought something, something he found, something that he's like, well, it's Sunday, I should bring something. Whereas Abel chose deliberately, what do I want to bring? What's my relationship to God? What would, re- what would reflect that? how do I feel about him and what could I bring that that lines up with what I'm about to do? Um, It's it's like it's been a few weeks now since Valentine's Day. Uh, Any of you have like any leftover boxes of chocolates, you know, like with like the mystery chocolate sitting there, right? You know, because, you know, like the box comes and then it comes with the key chart, you know, for like this is that. And like within the first hour, that's lost. And you're looking at it and you're like, I've eaten all the ones I know are good because I used the map to tell me like where the caramel filled ones are. But now I'm, I have this half eaten box of chocolates and I don't want to end up with the one with toothpaste in it. <laughs> and you're just like, is it worth it? <laughs> like, do I want chocolate that bad to like risk the cherry cordial bloody eye thing? You know, you're like, ugh. And imagine like, you're like, it's Sunday or like, or imagine it's like, it's Valentine's Day and you have one of those leftover from last year and you're like, oh, I should probably get something for my wife. I get that half eaten box of mystery chocolate. Be like, here you go, honey. Love you. Does that communicate love? <laughs> like, would she be well-received with that? She's like, she doesn't want to take a risk on the mystery chocolate either. <laughs> but this is, this is what Cain may have done. He may have been like, ah, oh, it's Sunday. Ah, oh, ah, oh, ooh. And he like, looks at the pantry, finds something. Like, something's better than nothing, so I'm going to bring something. But Abel deliberately thought about, I love God. I have six days until Sunday. Sunday's my day. It's the day I go to worship my God with my people What do I want to bring? What would represent what's true of how I feel about him? It's a matter of intentionality and priority that maybe perhaps Cain didn't prioritize God, and so it's not surprising that he brought his leftovers. Whereas Abel worshiped God first and foremost, and so he brought his first and best. We see this. We know this is true of God in principle from Proverbs 3, verse 9. I have it up on the screen for you. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits." of all your produce. So we know from scripture that this is a principle. We don't know if that's what happened here, but this is the truth of God. Whatever you give your first and your best to is what you honor. You can say you honor God all you want, but if your first and best goes to something else, that's what you honor. Whatever the first and best is, I was just having this conversation with my kids this morning. What they're like, well what about what about giving the first of our money makes it makes that because if you have $10 bills, what makes this one the best of the 10? You know, and I was like, well, it's the priority that it's the first one. If you have $10 bills, it's the first one. You identify it and say that one's for God. When it comes to our time, it's more like a quality thing. Like what is the best part of my time? When am I most alert? That's when I'm going to read my Bible. I'm not going to read my Bible when I'm half asleep. That could either be for you in the morning or at night. (laughs) But you give your best of your time to the thing that you prioritize most. And you can say all you want, what you honor, but what you give your first and best to is what you honor. And God says here, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce, whatever is first and best, set it aside and say, this is for you because you are first and best to me and you are in the highest priority in my life. We don't know if that's what happened. Another possibility is that Cain brought fruit, Abel brought fat, right? So here's another maybe difference uh, in, in what was brought. Like Cain brings the fruit of the ground, so maybe some cucumbers, some tomatoes, Whereas Abel brings the fat. And it's important that he brings the fat because if there's fat, it means the animal is dead. He didn't, Because he just could have easily have just brought a living goat, right? Like it's not like God's coming down to eat the stuff. <laughs> it's not like Cain is laying out a feast and like God's like, mm, mm, I like this, this salad's great. Like he's not, it's not for him to eat. God isn't hungry, he doesn't need anything. This isn't about that. So like he could have just as easily brought a living goat and just like left it on the hill and then like, Yeah, that's for you, God. Good luck, sheep. You know, you're on your own now. God's your shepherd. May he lead you by still waters. (laughs) You know, like that could have been his plan, but he doesn't. He killed it because he brought the fat, and the fat's only available if you slice that thing up. Like to get to the fat, you have to kill it. So there's a difference just in principle, like in that Abel killed the thing because he knew that there was something bigger going on than just bringing an offering. And we know from Scripture that this is a true principle of God. We see it in uh, Hebrews 9.22 where God communicates this. He says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. If there is no bloodshed, there is no forgiveness. Sin is so serious that someone has to die. Someone has to die. And it will either be you in your place for your sins or it will be this goat in your place for your sins. That's the world that they lived in. And that, maybe if that was communicated to them both, saying your sin is serious, so serious that someone has to die, that Abel took it seriously and said, I will bring this goat and it will be the first and the best and it will die in my place. And I will put my hand on this tiny little lamb that is perfect and pure and innocent and didn't do anything to deserve what's about to happen to it. And I'll put my hand on its head and say, I'm sorry for what I've done, Lord, and I'm sorry, little guy, for what's about to happen. But someone has to die. And God has commanded a sacrifice. And so you will die in my place for my sin. You imagine how like connected to your sin you would be at that point? Like if you had to actually then go forth and kill the thing yourself and then cut it up and bring the fat. Like Abel comes to the altar in this scenario with bloody hands saying, it's not even my blood, Lord. It should be mine, but it's this lamb's. Please accept this on my behalf so that I don't have to die. Please accept this sacrifice. We don't know if that's how it happened, but that's scripturally we know something that could have happened. And the third option, the last one, is Cain brought an offering, but not his heart. He just brought the thing. He detached his heart from the thing, and he just brought the thing and said, there's that. And then Cain, Cain's offering was his heart. He, he, he connected the two, like Cain, or Abel, I'm sorry, Abel's offering was his heart. Like Abel brought holistically, he brought the thing he brought was a representation of who he was. It was all connected, whereas Cain disconnected the thing from his heart. And so he said, what do you want from me, God? Fruit? He may have even brought the first and the best. Let's, in this scenario, let's give him all the credit in the world. He identifies the first and the best, and he brings it, and his attitude is here. Are we good now? Can we be done? You said Sunday. I'm here at Sunday. What else do you want from me? Are we good? Can I go? Like, if he came under those conditions, God would not accept the sacrifice because he disconnected what he did from how he felt about it. There was no connection. He severed the heart from the offering. And God doesn't receive just the offering, just for the show, just for the, just for the going through the motions because the box needed to be checked off. God doesn't play that game. And so if, he saw, if this is what happened, he saw through Cain's sacrifice and said, this is what's on the altar, but your heart is far away. Your hands are here, but your mind is somewhere else. You showed up this morning. You braved the snow, but your mind is somewhere else. Even right now, as I said that, you're like, oh, wait, is he talking to me? Oh, I should probably pay attention. Holy cow. It can happen to us all. It can happen to us all that we wander, that we forget why we're there. And look what Psalm 51 says in the second part of verse 16 and verse 17. Speaking of God, it says, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. If, from scripture, if Cain had brought his broken and contrite heart, God promises, I will not despise that. I will not reject that. I promise you, I will will not turn you away if you come with that. If you come and your offering is representation of what's real, if you are broken and you come with a sacrifice that's in line with who you are, I promise you, I'll never despise it. You will have acceptance and favor but if you disconnect those and you just bring the thing and keep your heart at home, keep your heart online, in your wallet, on your calendar, wherever you keep your heart, you keep it nice and safe somewhere, and then you bring your body here, and you even write the check, even stand up, even sing your loudest, you tried your best, it doesn't, it doesn't, he's, he's, he doesn't receive that. He's not obligated to receive that because he's promised what he will receive. He's promised, I will not despise a broken and contrite heart. That is the sacrifice that God requires. Now, that sacrifice, having that heart, leads to actually bringing the thing, right? It's not, you don't disconnect it the other direction. you be like, well, my heart's pure. That's why I don't go to church and stay home and just have good thoughts. That's why on Christmas, we don't just give our, our good thoughts to people. If it's the thought that counts, then why don't we just set aside a day where we all just give each other nice thoughts? Because it's the thought that counts. It's not the gift. It's like, no, but it is the gift. If the gift is a representation of the thought... Now, sometimes we get it wrong, and we're like, and you can like, appeal to it and say, I'm trying my best, I'm sorry, I screwed up here, I didn't realize that this wouldn't go well. But we don't deliberately disconnect it and just give a, a best thought. that actually follows through with doing what, um, what, what, it, what it's supposed to do. It just actually completes it. And we see this, the one scripture we do have that gives us insight into what happened in this land east of Eden is in Hebrews 11. Look what scripture comments. And, and by the way, scripture is the best commentary on scripture. If you read the Bible and you don't know what it means, keep reading. It doesn't always directly refer to it, but the best way to understand the Bible is to read the rest of the Bible. The Bible will tell you what it says about itself, and it will give you insight. So there are head-scratchers in there. Keep reading. Stick with it. The Bible wants you to understand itself, and it's comprehensive. It's holistic. So look what it says in Hebrews. That's a long ways away from Genesis in your Bible. I don't know if you're flipping through, but if you're waiting for a verse that gives you insight on this particular event, you're going to be in it for a while if you're just reading left to right but you'll have been paid off. Like it will pay off. Look what it says. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And then later in verse 6 it says and without faith it is impossible to please God. So we know for a fact that faith was involved somehow. We don't know if it was the faith that led him to bring anything or we don't know or it might have been the holistic thing of like his faith brought led him to bring the right thing. It was all connected. He had faith, so he heard what God said, and then he brought the thing that God told him to bring. It was comprehensive. We don't know exactly how that fit in, but we know that faith is the ingredient that Cain did not have. Either he lacked the faith in the first place and he brought an offering with no faith, or his lack of faith led him to not pay attention to God's commands in the first place. So he shows up with leftovers. He's like, What? Nobody told me. He's like, Are you sh- serious? Are you serious? Like, I told you what to bring. I haven't been unclear about this, Cain. We'll find this out later in the text. Cain knew what he was supposed to do. He's not a victim here of showing up and having a switcheroo, where he's like, oh, it's, it's not the day I thought it was. I was supposed to bring this treat, but it's a different treat day. Sorry. He knew exactly what he was supposed to bring on the treat list. Connection group people you know like you bring the wrong treat sometimes. <laughs> you get signed up on the wrong thing. Because our theology comes out of our fingertips, And this is true, like what you have in here will come out. It it comes out of your fingertips. So whatever was going on inside Cain, it came out. And when it came to the offering, when it came to the place in the course of time, God said, no, I I do not have regard for what you did because it's coming from a bad place, Cain. And we don't know what that exactly looked like, but it's one of those three options. But Abel brought it with faith and his theology came out his fingertips. And Hebrews says he brought a more acceptable sacrifice. Because he had faith in what he was doing, and his faith led him to do the thing that God told him to do. And so, when Cain doesn't get his way, when he doesn't get the acceptance he was looking for, he does what we all do—he gets angry. Verse five: Cain was very angry. Like he didn't have to say "very." <laughs> like angry already implies that you're, you've hit that level. But he's very angry. He's hot. He's fuming mad. He's mad, and his face fell. I have kids, like, when they're mad, it's, like, their whole, like, disposition, like, <laughs> you know, like, it turns into, like, they become anger. Like, they're, like, a visual representation of what anger looks like. It, it, it washed over him. Everything about him was angry. Cain wanted acceptance. He wanted God to accept what he was doing. He wanted him to accept the fact that he left his heart at home. He wanted him to accept a weak, wimpy sacrifice. He wanted him to accept it. And when God didn't, it made him mad. And he was mad at God. But what could be wrong with wanting to be accepted? That's a good thing, right? Wanting God to accept you, that's a good thing. But Cain wanted it on his terms. God, I want you to accept me on my terms. I'm going to do what I want, the way I want to do it, and you will accept it. And if you don't, I will get angry. I will get mad because you're not following my rules. And we have some insight into this in the, in the book of Jude. We, hear, we see Cain mentioned again, verses 10 and 11, commenting on the false teachers in the church at that time. Jude says this. He says, people blaspheme all that they do not understand. That word blaspheme literally means, it comes from the Greek, blocks fame. It means like slow to give fame to, slow to give credit So people are slow to give credit to things that they do not understand, speaking specifically in terms of God. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. They're destroyed by the things that they just naturally get. They're destroyed by the things that come easy to them, the things that are obvious to them. Woe to them, they walk in the way of Cain. So there's a way that Cain went about things that that Jude wants us to know about. The way of Cain is slow to see that God is the main character, even of your story. This whole series is called Introducing God. What's Genesis about? Who's the main character? Not Cain, even of this story. Cain's name comes up more than any other person, but who is the main character of this story? Not Cain. God is the main character of the whole story, and he's the main character of Cain's story, and Cain doesn't want to see that. And so it says that people like Cain are slow to see that God is the one who's in control of their story, but they're quick to see that all the instances where they are the main character, where things ought to go the way that they wanted to. That person at the stoplight should have gone two seconds ago because you're robbing me of my time. I am the main character of this story, and in my story, I get there two seconds faster. You are robbing me of my sense of control, so stop running around and driving me crazy because I'm owed a sense of peace and quiet because I am the main character of this house. Stop it! (laughs) I am very angry! (laughs) Like, we, you know that, don't, like, we are Cain. Do you see that? The more the story goes on, do you see we are Cain? Do not read into the story that you are able, A-B-E-L. You may be able to do all kinds of things, but you are not able, <laughs> with a capital A. You are not able in this story. You are Cain. I hope that you see that, and I hope as we go along that you see that. And the reason I hope you see that is because I want you to see how God treats people like Cain, because Cain is a turd. He did not do what he knew he was supposed to do. And now he's upset at God for holding him accountable to the thing that he knows he's supposed to do. And he's mad at God because God's holding him to, his, to God's standards instead of catering to his standards. But how does God respond to that? That's where this text gets awesome. That's where introducing God. That's where the hope of this passage lies is that this is about God. Because if it's about Cain and Abel, there's a lot of reason to leave here feeling pretty bad about the, where the world's headed. Where it's been and where it's likely to go. But look what happens in verse 6 and 7 in Genesis 4. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain is being the worst. He's having a temper tantrum, and God comes like a good dad. And he kneels down at the foot of this little person who's so much smaller than him, so much weaker than him. And he says, and he takes his little trembling fist and he grabs them in his hands and he's like, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? Let's talk. What's going on, buddy? Why are you so angry? I've told you what to do. If you do it, I'll accept you. I want to accept you. Do you hear me saying that, Cain? I want to accept you. Why are you doing this? I don't understand. Help me understand what's going on with you right now. And and what God is doing, he's trying to help Cain see what Cain is going on. God knows what Cain's up to. He knows his heart. That's why he knows there's a problem. But he wants Cain to see that there's a problem. Cain doesn't see a problem. That's why he's mad. You get mad because you think everybody else has the problem. When you're mad, everybody else is at fault for something. And if they just fixed it, you wouldn't have to be mad about stuff. But Cain needs to see that he is the problem here. And so God sits him down like a good dad. A soft answer turns away wrath, Proverbs 51. He, he, he gets down, he's like, Cain, why are you so angry? What's going on here? And, he, and he, he rewinds the tape, like I'm a dad. And so with my kids, I give them clear commands that they are capable of doing. And then I tell them the consequences if they don't. Because it's the only fair thing to do, right? So I tell them, like, I want you to clean your room you are capable of cleaning your room, because here's what I mean by that. I mean toys in their bins, put away, bed made. I clarify everything very clearly. Then I tell them, you are capable of doing this. I'm not asking you to do something that would stretch you or that would be impossible and exasperate you because it's too hard. Here's what will happen if you don't. And then I rewind the tape and I'm like, does daddy want to spank you? No, I want you to clean your room. I don't want to do this, but this is what will happen if you don't. Now, listen, I have been clear, right? We have understanding me and you. Do you understand what I want you to do? Yes, dad, clean my room. What does cleaning your room mean? Put the toys in their bin make the bed. Okay, we're clear. Can you do this? Is it too hard for you? Have I given you enough time? Do you have the ability to do what I've asked you to do? Yes, dad. Here's what will happen if you don't. Do you understand? Yes, daddy. And then I rewind the tape one last time. Now, what do I want you to do? Do I want to spank you? No, I want you to clean your room. That's why I've given you every opportunity to do it by being clear, by making sure that you're capable, by providing a way for you to do it and telling you what will happen if you don't. All three of those come together. You can do this. God lays this out for Cain because he's a good dad who loves horrible people. And he keeps pursuing Cain, even though Cain is pulling away from him. And in his rage, he's pulling away. Christian, how do you feel that God feels about you when you mess up? Do you see a God full of fists and rage? Like, you did that again? Go to your room. Do you imagine a God who's treating you like that? Look at the God of Genesis 4 who comes to Cain, who is totally in the wrong. And God comes with a tender voice. Why are you angry? If you just do the right thing, won't you be accepted? I promise you, you will be. Just do what I've asked. Just do it the way I've said to do it. I want to accept you. Look at Romans 2.4. God reinforces this point in very clear detail later on in Scripture. Just look at the simplicity and the profundity of this one sentence. It's so simple yet so profound. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Not the fire and brimstone thunderbolt guy. Like That guy should make you very afraid. You should be afraid of, a, of God who can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. That is the right response to that. But God's kindness is the thing that leads you to repentance. Like I remember Spurgeon saying, like when, I, when he imagined God as this angry God, it was easy to sin against him because he was already mad anyways. But when he found out how much God loved him, it killed him that he was sinning against that God. It killed him when he's like, that guy loves me so much and I keep getting it wrong. It kills me that I'm letting him down because I love him so much. God's kindness is what produces real repentance. It's meant to lead you somewhere you're supposed to dwell on God's kindness and the more that you soak yourself in thinking about how kind he is that Okay, hey. Yeah, so that kindness will lead you to repentance. Dwelling on that will lead you somewhere, and it will lead you to a place of saying, I was wrong. You are right. I will do it your way. Thank you for your forgiveness that you so kindly offer to me. Now, if sin has ruled you before, this is good news because God tells Cain, you must rule over it. Cain has already sinned at this point. He's already sinned. That's why he's in trouble. That's why he's, in, that's why he's so mad. It's because he sinned and he wasn't accepted. He's already sinned. So get that out of your mind that he's got a clean slate and he's got this one chance, either get it right or get it wrong. He's already gotten it wrong, but God's given him a second chance. And God says, sin wants to rule over you, Cain. And you have a chance or you must rule over it. Its desire is to take you over for your worse. It wants to rule you, to destroy you and everyone else around you. You must not let it rule over you you will either rule over the sin in your life or you will be ruled by it. You must rule over your sin. God says, Cain, you can do this. By my spirit, by my strength, you can say no to yourself. Did you guys know that this morning? You can say no to yourself. You don't have to follow the way of Cain, which is to say yes to whatever instinctively pops up. Whatever you feel like doing, you don't have to say yes to that. And actually, and you're not denying your true self to do what God says. You're becoming your true self by doing what God says. You're not denying who I really am in order to fall in line with this God who wants a bunch of mindless clones. You are becoming who you were meant to be, who you really are when you do what God says to do. You're not in danger of losing yourself. You're in danger of losing yourself by giving in to yourself. You become just like everybody else in the way of Cain that's ever lived. That's the way of slavery and cloning and and looking exactly the same as every other sheep in 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 the flock if that's the thing you're worried about. You become who you are by doing what God says. So how does Cain respond to this invitation now? He has, he has a forced choice situation. He has to make a decision now. He's already sinned, but forgiveness has been, has been offered in light of sin. In the light of his sin, forgiveness is on the table. Genesis 4.8, Cain spoke to, his, spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Let that sink in for a second. We see so much death and violence on video games and TVs and movies. Cain killed his brother. He said, hey, Abel, what you doing? We should go play in that field and go play ladder golf like we always do. Isn't that fun? I don't know how he got him out there, but it was under the guise of friendship. It was under the guise of brotherhood. Let's go do that thing. Abel was a happy-go-lucky guy. He's like, sure, let's go. Sounds fun. You're my brother. And Cain crouched and waited for his moment, made sure no one was looking, and rose up and killed his brother. We don't know how, if it was with his bare hands, with a rock, with a stick. Scripture leaves us with no details other than the fact that at the end of it, Abel is dead. Cain killed his brother, not just punched him and said, I'm so tired of you being a goody two-shoes, making me look bad in front of God and my parents. He kills him. He does what every toddler would do if they had the ability. Every toddler has murder in their heart, and if you don't know that, have a kid <laughs> they have murder in their hearts they're only limited by their strength and their creativity <laughs> if they had the ability they would murder they would be they would just go around slaying people slay all day usa <laughs> these little kids cuz they have the way of cain in them just like cain did just like we do we have this in us this like murderous like oh you make me so mad shelby like we got this thing inside us that we just get mad and we act out, and Cain kills his brother. He kills him. He murders him. He murders his brother instead of receiving forgiveness. The one that Eve had hoped would crush the serpent killed her son. He rose up to be a crusher of people. He crushed his brother because he followed the sin of his own heart. He refused to say no to himself and yes to God. And he became a murderer, a crusher of his brother. So now Eve has one kid down. One kid that she had born to him is now dead. What's going to happen to Cain? What's going to happen with all this? Look at John, 1 John 3.12. Like, why kill Cain? or like, Why kill Abel? You're mad at God. right? You're, who's, who's Cain's beef with? God. I'm mad at God. Why does he kill Cain? Or why does he kill Abel? Sorry, I keep getting this confused. Look, 1 John 3.12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. So he had this sin in his heart, and he gave into it. And why did he murder him? That's the question we want to know. Why him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. It made him mad to see Abel doing what God said to do. Because Abel had faith and he brought the right thing. And God said, well done, good and faithful servant. And that made Cain mad because it made him look bad. It highlighted the fact that he wasn't doing things the way that he should. And that made him mad at his brother. And so what starts with being mad at God comes out your fingertips your theology is coming out of your fingertips. You have a problem with people, I bet it's coming from somewhere here. You can't disconnect this from this. Like God even tells his husbands that in 1 Peter. He's like, you know why your prayers aren't answered? Because you and things with your wife are out of sorts. Get on board with her and then come talk to me. All this is connected. You can't be that out of sorts with God and have it not come out in the way that you treat people. You can't be that upset about the way that God has set up the world and then not have it affect the way that you treat people around you especially when you refuse to say no to yourself and you see yourself as the main character of your story. So when you do that, this is the the natural outcome of what happens when you treat God like that, you end up treating people like that because Cain chose the easy way of giving in to himself instead of the hard way of repenting and doing what God said. I heard once said that the easy path is what makes men and rivers crooked. Searching for the easy path is what makes a river do this. That rock's too hard. Let's move around it. This thing is crazy. Let's move. Same thing with people. What makes us crooked? Trying to find a way around it. God said, Do this. I don't like that. It makes people crooked when you can't, when you refuse to take the hard path that goes through the rock, up the hill, the clear path that says, This is the way to God. And you said, Nope, I'm going the easy way. When you do that, things like this happen. You become in the way of Cain. And you, you inherit that trait by birth and then you give into it and it only grows and feeds itself. So look what happens now. Like we constantly see the stories about God though. Look what God does now. Verse nine. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is, where is Abel your brother? Still giving, he's just like and Adam and Eve in the garden. He's he was inviting confession. He, he's like, what, where, what's going on here? He's inviting a confession. Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Who knows where that guy is? Is it my job to keep track of him? You realize the goal to say that he knows exactly where he is because he hasn't moved since you left him there. You murdered him and probably buried him to keep him out of sight so your parents wouldn't see what you did. Because we saw in Genesis 3, when we sin, our first tendency is to cover it up. We run to fig leaves. We run to whatever's around us. The first thing you find that will help you cover it up, you do it. And so Cain tries to cover it up. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. I wasn't asking because I didn't know, Cain. I was asking because I'm inviting repentance and a confession. I'm not asking you this morning, what have you done? Because I don't know. I'm asking you to confess it to me because while I'm talking and while you can hear my voice, there's a chance for you to repent. As long as you can hear me, there's a chance. Forgiveness is on the table. Will you just confess and admit that you're wrong? Say no to yourself and yes to me. Will you, Cain? Just do that. Verse 11, and now you are cursed from the ground. The consequences, I told you what would happen if you didn't do this. You are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no, no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. This is worse than Adam. Adam's curse was that the ground was going to be harder to produce fruit. Cain's curse is that it won't give anything to you. Try as hard as you want, Cain. You are not going to be able to bring fruit up from the ground, which means you're going to have to depend on other people, the one thing you don't want to do, or you're going to have to start being a shepherd and learning what that's like, and maybe you learn a lesson from that brother you killed. Even in this, God's mercy to Cain and forcing him to face people and deal with them. Because if Cain doesn't do that, he's going to starve to death. The ground will not give him fruit. He's not going to be able to just scavenge anymore. He's going to have to find somebody to help him learn how to take care of animals or learn how to help somebody so that he can get their fruit. Because the ground's not going to do it for me anymore. And then Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. Which is not true. God didn't say you're going to be hidden from my face. Cain's just assuming you're so mad at me that clearly this is game over for us. So I'm just going to be separated from you forever. Cain's writing. He starts telling himself stories like we do when we're mad and we're in a bad place. We start telling ourselves stories and we start reading stuff into the script that's not there. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, more grace, lest anyone who found him should attack him. He gives him a stay of execution. It's like, you deserve to die, Cain, but even now I'm giving you a stay of execution so that you might live and repent. Because what is the main point of this story? If you came in here today and said, we're talking about Cain and Abel, you'd be like, uh... I think, like, I've seen in, like, the storybook Bible or something that, like, the brother kills him, and that was not great. And that's, like, a good synopsis. <laughs> like, I could have saved us all a lot of time if that's the main point of this story. <laughs> like, what's the main, who's the main character of this story? Not Cain. God. What is the main point of this story? God loves sinners. And he chooses to save them and to offer them forgiveness at every corner. Every turn, he offers salvation to Cain. He gives him a chance to repent. He keeps chasing him down. He's pursuing Cain. As much as Cain pulls away, he keeps pursuing him. He keeps coming after him. He keeps keeps lowering his voice in order to try and win Cain over. He's doing everything in his power to win this rebellious son back to him. And in light of all that, after all that grace, after all that forgiveness, after the mark, after inviting confession, after everything, verse 16, Cain finally gets what he wants. Okay, I'm not going to have to pay. I'm not going to have to suffer as badly as I should. Thank you, God. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Cain walked away. Cain walked away. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain said in his thing, my punishment's too severe. You've cut me off from your presence. Not true. He was in God's presence, and he walked away. He got what he wanted. Okay, my life is safe. All right, You're not, nobody's going to kill me. That's the thing I'm worried about. I got, my, I got my felt needs acknowledged. I'm out. No need for you anymore. His heart's the same as when he brought the offering in the first place. His heart is not connected to what's happening. God, please forgive me. Okay, woo, glad that's over. Done with you. God is a forgiveness machine. God is a mercy machine. God's a blessing machine. I come and pull the lever. You do the thing. When you don't, I get mad. When you do give me what I want, I say, oh, thank God. Then I walk away because nobody hangs out by a vending machine. You just go to it when you need something. And Cain's attitude has not changed. And he left. God didn't leave Cain. Cain left God. So if you're here this morning, God's grace is pursuing you. If you're here today, I know for a fact God's grace is pursuing you because you're here. Where else would God want you than to hear his word with his people? On the way to church, I tell my kids, where are we going this morning? It's Sunday. What are we doing? To worship our God with our people. We're going to worship our God with our people. That's why we're here today. And if you're here, hear God saying, why are you so angry? If you do well, will I not accept you? I will. I will. There's no reason for distance between us. I've made it clear what I want. I've made it clear what I desire. I want to accept you. Can you hear me saying that this morning? God wants to accept you. He wants to. That's his heart. Will you just say no to yourself and yes to him? Will you hear what he's saying? It's not unclear. You're not incapable. He's made a way. That's what we're about about to do with these tables sitting up all around the room. God made a way. You, You don't have that excuse. It's available to you right now. Will you just say no to yourself? Will you repent? Will you not follow the way of Cain, which comes so naturally to you? And will you say yes to the way of God, which is so slow and like, Ugh, fine, you're in charge. Oh, that was so hard for me to say. We just bring yourself to do that and say yes to God? Can you do your, bring yourself to do that? The rest of Genesis 4 follows Cain's family and it just spirals. This attitude of saying yes to yourself spirals. You can read it for yourself. He ends up having a descendant named Lamech, who is the first polygamist, who's like one wife isn't good enough. I want to disappoint two women. So, so, he, so he marries another lady, and, and then he ends up being the first serial killer. He starts killing young men who make him mad at the supermarket, just indiscriminately, at least like Cain and Abel had relationships. This guy just starts offing people who make him mad, who look at him sideways in a bar. He's like, I'm taking that guy out. He looked at me funny. And this is, it just spirals. And you're like, this is getting worse. The story from the beginning of the two collision course, I think I know who's going to win this story, and it's not the serpent crusher. I think sin's going to win. Like, it looks like it's just going hell in a handbasket, right? You look around, you're like, I would sign off on that. Hell in a handbasket? Yes, that's my take on things. That's a take on Genesis 4. That's a take on the world around us. But Genesis 4 ends with the birth of Seth, who is one who then has a son, Enosh. And it says, at that time, people again begin to call on the name of the Lord. God is faithful to his promise, and there will come a serpent crusher from this family as broken, as jacked up as it is because it's about God as the main character, not this family. If it's this family's job to save the world, they suck at it, and they're not going to save the world. But through their obedience, through raising kids who love Jesus who love Yahweh, who submit to what he says, who have faith and bring their faith with the offering that is completion of the faith. And they do the things that they're supposed to do and they thank God in their hearts all the way through it and say, God, thank you for having mercy on me, a sinner. This line will continue and God will be faithful to his promise to produce that serpent crusher who will take his heel finally into the skull of that deceptive serpent and kill the way of Cain in us and in the world around us. God promises that he will do that. Then we see chapter five is all just a lineage of that other family of Seth and Enosh, and all the way down to where it ends with Noah, whose parents say, maybe finally, maybe finally, this family who believes in God's promises says, maybe this is the one who will end the curse. Maybe this Noah, that's why they even name him Noah. His name means rest, comfort. Maybe he will be the one who finally delivers us from this world that has gone to hell in a handbasket. We'll get into that next week, just how bad the world has gotten by the time Noah is born, but God has held on to his promise and he hasn't left his people The way we respond to the hearing of God's word at Anthem Church is through taking communion. I've already told you that this is God's way of acceptance. He's provided a way. There's no excuse. You hear me saying it. It's clear. It is God's son, is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through this table, through what he has done. It's right there for you to take. Come with faith in your heart, and with faith come to the right sacrifice that he's already set aside and done all the work for you to do. Because we are Cain in this story. We have sinned, but it's not over for us yet. Just like Cain, we have done the wrong thing. We have messed up, and God is saying this morning, if you do well, will I not accept you? Why are you so angry? Why are you so resistant? Why are you so slow to acknowledge that I am the main character of everything? Your life, your calendar, your friends, your relationships, your marriage, your checkbook. Why are you so slow to acknowledge that? Just confess what's already true, that I am the God of everything, and come to this table to our brother Jesus, a better brother than Abel. We are Cain. We have killed our brother. Do you see that? We are Cain and this is our brother who we murdered because his deeds were righteous and ours were evil. We killed our brother and he's the better Abel because he didn't have to bring a sacrifice for himself. Abel brought the right sacrifice. Jesus didn't need one because he was perfect. He's a better Abel. He's a better able than the one that we see. And we should model our lives after Abel. He does exactly what a person should do. But Jesus is our better brother and our better Abel because he died for our sins. He came and offered a sacrifice for us. And on the cross, he said, Father, forgive my brothers and sisters. They don't know what they're doing. This is for that. The fact that they have no idea what they're doing right now is evidence in the fact that they're doing it to me. Forgive them right now for what they're doing. And for all who would follow in the line of Abel, and the line of Seth and Enosh, who would believe in the serpent crusher and put their hope in him inside their heart and say, this collision course wins with Jesus inside me. Not just out there in the world. We will see that happen in the world. He is coming back, and he will crush the serpent finally, forever. The last enemy to be defeated is death, and it will be defeated, as evidenced by his initial defeat of death. Because better than Abel, he didn't stay in the ground buried. God didn't have to hear Jesus' blood crying out from the ground. Because Jesus isn't in the ground. Jesus rose from the grave, and he ascended into heaven where he sits right now, pleading on our behalf, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I am their brother. I was born for adversity. Take their sufferings. Take their shame. Take their guilt. Take all their unrepentance. Put it on me, and let them walk scot-free. He's a better able, and so that's why we come to this table this morning. So the band's going to come up. They're going to play as they do. Make your way to a table. Take off a piece of the bread, which is his body, which was broken for your sin, not his, and dip it in the cup, which is the blood spilled for your sins, not his. He is a better able who lives and reigns and not only lived a life of faith, but provides us a life that if we put our faith in it, we will be saved. Acceptance is offered to you today in the form of a son, in the form of a brother who died on your behalf, a brother that we killed and said, I forgive you, even for that. So, come today confessing that you're confessing your cane ways, confessing all the things that you're quick to buy into, and all the things that you're so slow to believe. Come confessing that and know that you are forgiven for a fact. You take that and you believe that, you will walk away accepted. No questions. You will be accepted. That's what God wants. Do I want to spank you? No, I want you to have faith and obey. I want you to receive what I've done. I don't want it to end this way, but I've been clear about what happens if you don't. I've made it clear. I've made it possible. Follow in obedience. Have faith in what I've done for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the clarity it provides, that even buried in the book of Genesis, an old book where people kill each other because they're jealous and envious, that we can see a God who reigns forever. And you're not a different God then than you are now. I thank you that we can see that. We can see Jesus in Genesis 4, not because we have to drum it up or try and, try and play with the story, it's it's clear, it's evident. Your goal has always been to pursue sinners. You pursued Adam and Eve in the garden. You pursued Cain. This morning, may we come confessing the way of Cain in us, saying, we have walked in the way of Cain. Lord, forgive us. Please, brother, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for what I've done against my brothers, my sisters, my father, my mother, my children. Forgive me for what I've done to people because of my Being out of sorts with you has led to me hurting other people. Forgive me for that. Help me to go make amends with them, to say I'm sorry, not just to you this morning in my own heart, but to them. Help me confess what I've done to people because other lives are connected to mine and my sin has affected them. Thank you for the forgiveness you offer through this table, through your body that did not stay dead. Thank you that you hear me now. I'm not praying to a guy in a tomb. I'm not praying to a good example who's buried in the ground somewhere in the Middle East. I'm praying to a God who lives and reigns forever and ever and ever. And as long as you can hear the voice of the Lord this morning, forgiveness is set in front of you in the form of a sacrifice on your behalf for your sin, that if we put our faith in it, like Abel, we will be received into the joy of our master. Give us hearts, give us faith to believe, give us the follow through to produce the kind of fruit that faith produces. We Thank you and we love you for your forgiveness and your grace and that we see it even buried in the in the back of an old book that you've always been the same God. Jesus Christ, you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you always will be. May we turn to you with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our might this morning. Forgive us for how we have it. In your name we pray. Amen.